So thank you, Michael, for uh, providing our scripture this morning. We are now moving into uh, uh, the second week of this sermon series that we're doing that I've entitled Don't Look Back. Um, last week, we looked at the Israelites and their wandering in the wilderness and uh, the, the ways in which they somewhat uh, rebel against God. Um, there's these constant desires that they have for things to be the way they were and now are not. Um, even though they could, with full vision, look back and see that they had been slaves in Egypt, that their, their situation was not fantastic, and that God was in fact delivering them to something new, something better, something bigger, uh, they were so fixated on the past that they could not possibly uh, see forward. And in that, I asked us to look forward. Uh, to look for what it is that God is going to be doing for us, uh, his church, in the coming months, years, uh, uh, and maybe decades. I don't know. Um, there are changes that are happening for all of us right now, and we're experiencing life in a very different way than we would have planned. Uh, I've told a number of people, I never thought that my first year uh, in, in ministry at a new congregation would ever look like this year has looked. My plans have been blown out of the water. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we've been looking at the book of James, and we talked about uh, a passage in which, you know, James tells the early Christians, the early church, um, you know, you say to yourselves, in a year or so, we'll do this and that and the other thing, but you don't even know what's going to happen to you tomorrow, essentially. Um that's kind of how we operate a lot of the time, that we make plans for ourselves and we hope that those plans will come to fruition. But God has plans. God is doing something. God is always doing something. And as his people, it's our call to pursue what God is doing. And so this morning, I want to go ahead and uh, take a look at the book of Jeremiah. Uh, just as, as Michael read to us a moment ago, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, I want to be up front. Uh, a lot of times when we go to Je Jeremiah chapter 29, the verse that comes to mind for most people is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And this gets put on a lot of graduation cards. It's on uh, beautiful paintings. It's, you know, if you have a frame in your house uh, with Christian artwork, maybe this is the verse that appears on that frame. Um, we've co-opted it in a lot of ways to mean God is going to give you success in, in the endeavors of your hand. Uh, that the things that you decide to do, God is going to give you success in. The problem with that is it's not what this verse is really about. Uh, if you read the book of Jeremiah, it's, it's this strange mix of uh, condemnation, really strong, deep condemnation for the behaviors of God's people in their land, and prophecy and concerns to the good work that God will do in the future. Um, it's It's... A dynamic book and it's divided in some strange ways the first really about 28 chapters or so are all dedicated to the preaching that Jeremiah does in his homeland as a part of the 
the city of Jerusalem, um, the warnings that he gives to the Israelite people, the, the uh, encouragement that he gives them to turn back to God and live righteously and do what it is that God has called them to do, to set aside the idols of the, the uh, nations that live around them, um, to put their trust in God and not in Egypt or, or Babylon or any of the other kingdoms that are around them. And 29 are these, uh, it starts these letters that he sends. Um, letters that are uh, about the situation that Israel finds themselves in in exile and what God is going to do to Israel, to Babylon, and most importantly, to all nations. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting book because in many ways we read Jeremiah and we see that although he's a faithful preacher through his entire life, there's really only two individuals that end up following him. Maybe, maybe they repent and they follow him. Uh, his own scribe and then a, a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch from uh, the, the king's court. It's, it's a book about a prophet who deeply longs for the heart of God to be the motivating force for his own people. And yet continually his preaching falls on deaf ears until they find themselves in catastrophe. They find themselves in exile. And so this morning, I want to share with you uh, this kind of pivotal passage that comes uh, in this, this letter that that Jeremiah writes to those who have been sent off to Babylon. There are two groups of people. Uh, there are those that got to stay behind, and there are those who are taken into Babylon. And interestingly, the vast majority of the individuals that are in exile are the craftsmen, they're the tradesmen, the, the individuals who have um, value to the Babylonian people. And then there are those who are left behind, who the Babylonians maybe don't have a whole lot of interest in. And Jeremiah, in chapter 29, is writing to these individuals, those who have been taken away from the city, uh, from, from the nation. Uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's not really a place you would want to live at this point. But I want to read to you these words uh, that, that come from the prophet, that talk to the Israelite people about what it is they should do in this time where they are not in their home, but they're also not uh, not really sure what God is going to do next. Um, I want to be clear up front. We are not Israel. The words that are written here are not necessarily words about us, but in many ways I think that they are encouragement to us about how God would have his people act in times of transition in different, strange times, times that are unlike the ones that they expect. We have not been sent into exile. We are not um, exiled people. We haven't been ripped away from our homeland and uh, witnessed the, the destruction of uh, our way of life completely. We, we are experiencing a different time in our lives. And so as we read this, there is sometimes a tendency for us to over- uh, uh, read ourselves into these passages. And I don't want to do that, but I do want us to see what we can glean of God's wisdom 
for our current situation and for uh, God's overarching work in the history of humanity and his people. So uh, all of that said, uh, the disclaimer up front, I want to go ahead and look at these words again. Jeremiah 29 verse 5a, this is the first uh, bit of advice that God gives to the people who have been set in Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Um, it's it's a it's a really uh, maybe interesting way for God to open a letter to a group of people who have found themselves in a place that they don't want to be. Build houses and live in them. Set up a dwelling place and and get comfortable for a little while. Uh, there's a sermon title in the bulletin, and and I don't know necessarily if it's uh, the title I would give to this overarching theme for today, uh, but it's something along the lines of um, make the most of things. In some ways, God begins by saying, hey, you're going to be here a while. Make the most of things. Build yourself a house and live in it. Uh, This is where you're going to be for a little bit. Then he continues on and he says, plant gardens and eat their produce. Um, Gardens in scripture are often uh, uh, related to the work of God. In the very beginning, God places Adam and Eve in a garden and he has them tend the garden. Um, God's people are often gardeners in, in uh, in the New Testament. When Jesus is raised from the dead, uh, it happens in a garden, and he meets people in a garden, and he's mistaken for a gardener. Uh, gardens are, are thematically important in Scripture, and here God is telling his people, plant a garden. You know, uh, build a house, live in it, plant a garden, eat the produce. This is where your hand is going to be committed to some kind of work. In the same way that I've given work to people in the past and expected them to work the land, I want you to work the land where you find yourself right now. And then he moves into this. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Um, The Israelite people have a history in the Old Testament of finding themselves in a strange land and increasing in number. If you think about the book of Exodus... It basically begins with this idea that Pharaoh is afraid of the Israelite people because they have become so numerous. And the way that he's going to end up treating them is that he's he's going to decrease their numbers through killing their children, either at birth or or by other means. He has a, a desire to decrease their numbers so that they don't revolt against the Egyptian people. When God tells them, Here in Jeremiah 29, verse 6, be fruitful, have children, do not decrease in number. I wonder if maybe he's he's throwing back to that a little bit because um, this seems like in many ways the Israelite people should balk at the idea of growing too big in a foreign nation. We know what happens if we do that. God, are, are you really sure that that's the best idea? Maybe we just play it cool for a little while. Yeah, okay, we'll build houses. 
we'll garden. We got to eat something, so we might as well do that. But really, you want us to increase in number? You don't want us to decrease. You want us to have children. You want us to have daughters and sons, and you want them to get married. Hold on, wait a second. Now, you're telling us we're going to be here long enough for the children that we have here in this land to grow into marriageable age? There's a whole lot of stuff that's couched into this message here. You're going to be there a while. Get comfortable. Set your hands to God's work or to some kind of productive work. These are the things that God tells his people who are in exile. His people who are going through a time of transition. He makes it really clear this time of transition might be longer than you're thinking it's going to be. That's Jeremiah's message to the people. He continues on, and this is, this is where I think it becomes tremendously important for us to pay attention. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Notice he doesn't say, seek your own welfare. Do what's best for you. He says, right now, in exile, in this place that I've put you, I want you to seek the welfare of that city. Now, in the Old Testament, oftentimes, when, when Scripture refers to the city, it's, it's talking about Jerusalem. It's talking about the city of, of God's people, the city where the temple is located, the city where the king's palace is, that is the city to the Israelite people. But here he's saying, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Seek the welfare of the place that I've put you. You're not where you want to be. You're not where you anticipated being. Your plan was to live and work and have offspring in Jerusalem. But now I've placed you somewhere else. And while you're there, I want you to seek the welfare of the place that I've put you. And the only time... I'm going to say this, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm correct here. If I'm not, someone call me out on it, and, and I'll make up for it next week says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Pray for your enemies. Now in the New Testament, we find that over and over and over again. It is not a unique thing in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, for, for God to command his people to pray for their enemies, the ones who are holding them captive, that is a, a big, big command. For in their welfare, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is all the promise that God makes to his people. 
Now you look at it and you say, I don't see a promise here. I don't, I don't see God making promises. I see him telling people, hey, this is just how it's going to be. And someday I'll do something good for you. Because if you remember back at 29 verse 11, which we read at the beginning, we, we have that statement, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not for evil. Uh, we think that that is the promise. But I want to argue to uh, today that what we've just read, what we've just talked about, this build homes for yourselves, plant gardens, eat, eat the produce, marry, have children, let your children have children, seek the welfare of the nation that I've placed you in, the city I've placed you in. I believe that is God's promise as well. See, part of, uh, part of the promise that God makes to Abraham in the book of Genesis is I am going to multiply you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you uh, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea. I will, I will redeem all of mankind through you. By the way, your children will go into a land that is not their own and there they will be slaves. These are promises God made to Abraham. Sometimes God's promise includes things that we look at and we're like, God, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why in the world are you promising me that my children will be slaves? God, why are you promising me that I will, I will have children in a strange land and that I will be seeking the welfare of my enemies and that it's through their welfare that I will be prospered? Jeremiah is preaching against a teaching that was happening among the exiles. Um, I don't have a slide for this, but I want to read it to you. Uh, Jeremiah 29, taking a look at verse 8, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to their dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. There was a group of prophets that were telling the Israelite people uh, things that were contrary to the will of God. God has just outlined, this is my will for you. You may not like it, but this is my will for you. Right now, this is where I've put you. And your job is to do what's right in the place that I've put you to seek the welfare of the city that you're in to make the most of what maybe you see as a bad situation and there are going to be people that tell you that you don't belong there rise up against the Babylonians knock down your oppressors and and uh, let's go ahead and and Revolt against the restriction that we find in this moment. God says, I'm doing something here. I'm doing something. Maybe those prophets are telling you that this is not my will, that I'm not active, that I'm not seeking what's best for you. But if I seek what's best for the Babylonians and you do it, it will be what's best for you. That's what God tells his people. And it's in that context that we then read verses 10 and 11. 
For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God's clear message to his people is this. Even in moments where it feels like things are wrong for you, like maybe you've been led into a bad situation and you just wish you weren't there, I am still your God, and I know what I'm doing. We read 11 as though it is this statement that God is going to affirm the plans that we have for our lives so that we might prosper in the way that we want to prosper. And God says, oh no, you have, you have no idea. I have plans for you. I have plans for you. We read ourselves as the subject of, of verse 11. We read ourselves as the subject. We're the object. We read it as though God will give me success in my plans. When what God is saying is, I will give you success in my plan. I don't know today exactly what God is doing in this moment. But I know that if I am seeking God, if I am putting my hand to the work that he has given me, wherever I am, if I'm tending the garden patch that God has placed in my life, even if it's in a strange land, even if it's in a place I didn't expect to be, even if it's in a situation that is unlike the one I had imagined for myself, God will prosper me as he has planned. God will work in my life in the way that he has planned. That leads us back to James and what it is that we talked about uh, on Wednesday night, if you were a part of class. God has plans for us, and sometimes his plans, in fact, many times his plans, are different than our own plans. But his plan is for us to be actively pursuing the kingdom and when we do that, we find success. Not the success of the world, but the success that God has planned for us. The, the prosper or welfare for us. It may not be money. It may not be uh, a big house. It may not be uh, a, a tremendously successful independent nation. It may not be uh, our, our dreams coming to fruition. And there are people out there who are going to tell you what God wants for you. 
that are kind of sheep or wolves in sheep's clothing. That's what we're told about these prophets that were telling the Israelite people something contrary to the will of God. Jeremiah, the faithful prophet who preached for somewhere around 40 years, is telling the people, those same prophets are the ones that taught you the way that ended up getting you into the situation that you're in right now. Don't believe them. Seek God. Ask yourself in this moment, how can I make the most for the kingdom of where God has placed me? The book of Jeremiah continues on. And, and Jeremiah has strong words for the Israelite people about what God is doing currently, what God will do in the future, not just to Israel, but also to Babylon. And at the end of the book, I've got a flip there, at the very end of the book, we are given a picture of hope because uh, things, things are not always very hopeful. Um, Jeremiah chapter 52 in verse 31. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that began to reign, uh, that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him, and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he did not, dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, according to his daily needs, until the day of his death, as long as he lived. And now you're thinking, okay, Chris, what in the world are you talking about? You've jumped to this strange king who we haven't talked about previously, uh, Jehoiakim, who is uh, a prisoner, and he's freed and allowed to sit at the king's table, the, the Babylonian king. And the Babylonians, again, you know, they're the ones that have brought the Israelites into this strange exile, these members of the kingdom of Judah, the, the northern kingdom. They, uh, you know, why in the world are we talking about Jehoiakim? The story of Jehoiakim being brought to sit at the king's table is a reminder to the Israelite people that the line of David, their true king, it's not ended. That, in fact, God has protected the line of the true king. And God has made promises to the Israelite people over and over and over again that someday a true king will sit on the throne. A true king will take the, the rightful place and he will free mankind from some kind of bondage. And the Israelite people have been promised that through the offspring of Abraham, all of humanity will find themselves uh, blessed. And this is this is a little nugget thrown in at the end of Jeremiah to remind the people that no matter what the situation happens to be, God continues to protect his plan. God continues to work toward saving his people. Now remember that in, in the book of Jeremiah, there are a lot of 
expectations that are subverted. Uh, a lot of individuals who thought that their life was going to be one way and it ends up being another. And God says, even though there are people who are affirming what you thought your life was going to be, God has other plans for you. But just because his plan for you specifically has changed, maybe not changed, just because his plan for you specifically is not what you expected it to be, doesn't mean that God has forgotten the big plan that he has for the redemption of humanity. The book of Jeremiah promises that there will be something great to come out of Israel still. The book of Jeremiah affirms that there will be a time in the future where God's people will be drawn back together from all nations. That they've been sent into exile so that they might come back together someday. And that at that time, the law will be written on their hearts. That they will be a people governed by God. And the book ends by reminding people that God has protected them and he has protected the promise that he's made to them and that even the difficult and strange situation that they find themselves in is a part of his plan it's a part of his promise so today i ask you this question and i want you to consider it and i can't give you an answer for you individually all i all i can do is this i can say this what is god doing in your life right now? What is God's plan for you in the moment that you find yourself in, in the place that you find yourself in, even if it is wildly different than where you think or thought God would place you? If you are a follower of Christ, regardless of the place that you find yourself in, we have been taught to pray that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's our job to set our hand about the work that he's given us in that. Can we make the place that we are in more like the kingdom? Can we pray for the welfare of the place that we are in right now so that we might benefit from it? The welfare of the city that you're in, that's where you will find your own welfare, your own well-being, your own prosperity, as God has intended it for you. Our world is very much not the kingdom of heaven right now. There are so many ways in which we can look around and we can see the hurt of, of individuals and we can see uh, the suffering of, of a great many people. Um, this last week has been tremendously uh, distressing for a lot of us. And, and it's been distressing for uh, people of color. And it has been uh, distressing for those of us who, who uh, have our eyes reopened again to um, the injustice and inequality that we face in our own society. And in many ways, that's, that's what God does for the Israelite people in the book of Jeremiah. He reopens their eyes to the injustices of the, the way that they had been living. Jeremiah talks about them worshiping idols and prostituting themselves to those idols 
but he also talks about how they've neglected the care of the widow and the orphan, that they've neglected justice. And so God opens their eyes to all of this by placing them in exile. And he says that when they come back, their eyes will be more clear, that their eyes will be more open, and that they will be a kind of people that, that loves justice. And maybe right now God is looking for an opportunity to, to put us still for just a little bit so our eyes can be more open. So that we can see the ways in which our hands can be set to the work that God has given us. For you, that may look like something different than it looks like for me. But in all cases, we are called to work towards the reality of the kingdom in our lives by working for the reality of the kingdom in the lives of others. By sharing the good news of the kingdom, by loving other people as we love ourselves, by doing what God would have us to do, by caring for those who are thirsty and hungry and sick and naked and imprisoned, for all of those who are suffering and struggling in this world, we are called, we are called to lift them up and meet their needs. And in doing that, we find the kingdom. And God will prosper us and build us up. How in this moment is God asking you to do that? I want to pray uh, for, for so many things I want to pray. But I want to pray and then I want us to go into our time of communion. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are good. And we don't always understand what you are doing. We don't always understand how you are going to accomplish what you're doing. We know that the big work, the, the great work that you have set in place, that you have set in motion, the thing that, that is coming, you've let us in on that plan. We know that your kingdom will come in its fullness. We know that it has already come in our hearts and our minds, that you are working on us and changing us every day so we can be more and more the citizens that you desire for us to be, that you've already placed your son in, in the most exalted place, that he is our king, that he is our lord, that he is our savior, that he is our friend, that he is our brother. And yet sometimes we look and we just ask God, how in this moment are you working? And so God, I ask you, how are you working? Not because I doubt that you're working, but because I want to be involved in the work that you are doing. I pray that for all of us, God. We don't doubt that you are working. But things seem strange to us. And we pray for wisdom. We pray for clarity. We pray for understanding, God, that you would guide our hands and our hearts so that we might pursue your work. That we might pursue the welfare of the kingdom that we find ourselves in. So that we might discover the kingdom. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go ahead and move into our time of communion. Uh, Dawn is going to be providing our communion thought today. Um, and so I want to invite you uh, to go ahead and, and spend some time reflecting on communion uh, with Dawn. <laughs>